we think that the quality of the built environment that you live in is really, really closely related to quality of life. We think it affects your mood. We think it affects um, your well-being in, in a number of different ways. And um, so we really just don't believe that, that um, you know, the ability to live in a really well-designed space should be exclusive. You're listening to the She Renovates podcast. You're listening to She Renovates, the podcast for women who want to renovate to create an income and a life they love. Hi, it's Bernadette here. Have you been thinking about making the move from hobby renovated to professional? Do you wonder what the difference is and how you should set yourself up? Are you curious to know how to identify the right location or the right property to renovate? Or maybe you've been thinking about a joint venture. Well, the good news is that you'll find the answer to all those questions and so much more in our renovation bootcamp. It's open for enrollment right now. The Renovation Bootcamp is a 10-week online course that consists of eight value-packed modules where you learn our entire system designed to generate an average of 100,000 per project. You can work through your own, the modules at your own pace. However, there are also weekly tutorials run by myself and my team of property experts to guide you in applying the learning to your specific circumstances. The numbers are capped so that we can deliver a personal experience. And if you would like to join, please go to www.theschoolofrenovating.com forward slash bootcamp and find out more. Let's get into today's episode. Ever since David started architecture, which is now more than a decade ago, we've had a ritual. Whenever I buy a property, we pour over the real estate floor plan and brainstorm ideas for improving its value. I have found this practice incredibly valuable. And since then, he's graduated from university, done his master's, part of which he did in Barcelona, uh, worked for a high-end architectural practice in Sydney and established his own company. He also assists our students in the boot camp, but I've been asking him for years, how can we offer this brainstorming experience to them to access in their own businesses ongoingly? Architectural services can be cost prohibitive when you're renovating for profit, but he's come up with the perfect solution. And that's what we're going to be talking about today. So the solution is called the Renovators Concept Session and it is available to everyone. So if that piques your interest, then listen in. So um, welcome, David. Thank you. So um, one of the things that I have found really helpful for the time that I've been renovating, well, certainly since you've been in the business, is that brainstorming session that we have when we first look at a project. So, mm -hmm. you know, often it happens before it's our own. 
Um, I bring the, you know, usually we sort of pour over the um, real estate floor plan and get that sort of high-level concept plan sort of nutted out, um, back of the envelope type thing, in order to sort of determine, you know, what sort of improvement we can make to the flow or to the floor plan and to add value to the property. And mm-hmm. so you have been doing that since you started uni, basically. And I guess uh, now that you have decided to offer that as a service to renovators, I, I guess the first thing I want to ask you is, uh, firstly, why? Because obviously there are bigger fish to fry and you certainly, the rest of your day is spent on large, larger scale, much larger scale projects. Mm. So what is it that has been the motivation for creating this service? That's a good question, but a big question. <laughs> um, it kind of works on a, well, there are a few different levels that, that we're sort of inspired to be working in this area on. Um, at the really kind of a big scale meta level, it's about the sort of fact that there is so much housing stock in Australia that is quite that is quite old and and at least in the next um, couple of decades, a substantial percentage percentage of it will be renovated. And um, the way that we see the architectural profession, it's really good at servicing really big projects, really good at servicing highly complex projects, and you know, public works and um, large residential, you know, new residential developments um, and even really high-end, high-budget um, single residential projects. But it's quite, it struggles when it comes to, to servicing much smaller scale projects. And I think that there are a couple of reasons for that. I think that one is that they're not, they're not necessarily seen to be really um, sort of the kinds of projects that would end up in a portfolio so um you or you know end up on a website and so um they're not sort of the the high ambition um or the kind of aesthetically the high ambition projects for for a lot of architects but um i think probably more significantly um or at least equally significantly um is that the the process that we go through is a very detailed one quite a laborious one and as a result is quite expensive so I think it's it's um, the the majority of the industry really struggles to service um, much smaller projects because of the um, because of the the cost of, of what's involved in actually doing the work that we do, and we sort of we think that's a that's a reasonably significant problem in the context of this idea that that so many people are living in properties that will be renovated at some point. And we think that the quality of the built environment that you live in is really, really closely related to quality of life. We think it affects your mood. We think it affects um, your well-being in, in a number of different ways. And um, so we really just don't believe that, that um, you know, the ability to live in a really well-designed space should be exclusive. We think that it's it's something which should be kind of more broadly accessible, um, and we think that at this point, one of the main inhibitors to that is um, is just that our process is quite rigid. So um, we've sort of been looking at ways of how we can 
how we can break that process down to what's really essential um, in the kind of design process and build it back up on the scale of a small scale renovation. Um, so we think that the, the process that's involved in designing and, you know, award winning um, freestanding building in the CBD is, is actually not that dissimilar to, to the design process and the kind of applicability of that, of that design process really translates when you break it down to what's totally essential in, in, designing, um, in designing a building um, or designing a renovation. And what we've sort of come to conclude uh, in really thinking quite a bit about that and thinking about how, the, how you break that down um, is that it's really all about a clear strategy. So we think that a clear design strategy is is what makes an award-winning project award-winning. And we think a clear design strategy is what makes a great renovation great. And you can spend a huge amount of money on a project um, with no clarity to the design strategy and build something that is, that is perfectly terrible. Or you can spend um, a very small amount of money on something which has a really clear design strategy and um, deliver something which is, which is, you know, a great piece of design. So we just don't think that we don't think that budget is the is the key limiting factor in great design. We think that it really comes down to that the clarity of the strategy. Um, and we've been looking at how we so can... for us mere mortals, what does that mean? Like um, well, okay, so for instance, I've worked on my fair share of, of projects which which you would sort of um, put in the category of, of um, potential award-winning projects, the kinds of things that, that we aspire to, to put into the architectural awards. Um, and for those types of projects, um, you know, the strategy is, um, the strategy can be something related to say the formal impact of the building. So for instance, um, you know, having a really high impact um, in the street could be an essential part of the design strategy if that building needs to have an identity. Um, so one of the projects that, that um, I was lucky enough to deliver a couple of years ago and, and which did win a number of awards, it had the, um, a big part of the design strategy was this idea that the building's experience in the round. And so it, the building is, you know, it really kind of reaches out into the street and it's a curved building that, that sort of has these awnings that, that extend out into the street um, or out over the sort of pavement. And it really is experienced in the round and clad in quite a kind of um, dominating finish that, that is this, this charred steam bent timber. And so on a project like that, the design strategy which is this idea of a building in the round, a high impact building that, that has a kind of iconic status in its, in its locality. That's how, you, that's how we start to talk about design strategy on that type of a project. On, the, on a project like a, say, if we're talking about a residential um, renovation where we're, um, you know, potentially uh, reworking a kitchen and, kitchen and bathroom and, and interconnecting it with other spaces within, within an existing apartment. Um, that design strategy, we think, in residential design comes down to, to two or, or falls broadly within two brackets or two, two areas. One is about how you move through a space and the other is how a space feels. So it's kind of on that really high level, we think about it as being about, about stillness and movement. And um, to put it into terms that are probably used a lot more in the, um, in the field of renovating, um, it's kind of about the flow of the space um, and the feeling of the space. So that kind of 
movement and the atmosphere of space. Um, so we think that um, we think that that kind of forms the framework of a really clear design strategy when it comes to residential um, renovations, particularly the spatial components of a residential renovation. And you know, if we kind of break that down within within the flow of a space, within the movement of a space, um, you're looking at things like how one space connects to another, you know, the size of the opening between the kitchen and the dining room, for instance, and the adjacency of spaces. You might look to shift a dining room, swap a dining room with another room so that it has a better adjacency with the kitchen or, or shift the kitchen so it's got a better adjacency with the rear yard. So it's kind of, that's one aspect of it, is the adjacency of spaces. Um, another aspect of it is how you physically move through those spaces. So the placement of a door in a room is one of the kind of key tenets that, that we keep coming back to in our practice. We really think that, that the placement of a door in a room can completely transform the way that a room is used. Um, and it's such a kind of small granular level of, of design focus that it can totally transform the feeling of a space and, and how you move through it. And even sometimes the direction that a door swings in a room can, can totally transform a room. So we think that you know it can you can really scale scale that level of of design and strategic thinking down to down to that level. Um, some of the other aspects of of um, movement come down to where you place furniture in a room, the proportions of the space. Um, you know these things all all kind of form how a space feels to move through it. Um, if we look at um, for some examples of what uh, the atmosphere, how you, how you generate atmosphere in a space and how you kind of design the atmosphere of a space or what it is to be still in a space. We think about things like the proportions of the space again. So, you know, the ceiling height, the width and the length of the room, that really defines a lot of how a space feels. If your space has a really high ceiling height, um, it, can, it, will feel, it will have a totally different feeling to a space that has a really low ceiling height. The really kind of long and narrow room with a low ceiling height has a totally different feeling to a space that has, say, the same ceiling height but is much shorter. So proportions of space, we've got things like natural light, artificial light, um, uh, material selections, um, all of these things that that kind of um, define define the way that a space feels while you're while you're still in it. Yeah. So. It, it, a good example of the, like, the, just changing the way the door swings was the Rennie Street project. Yep. That, was, that was one of those tiny little terraces where you step straight into the living room and it was yep. like the whole place was 60 square metres. And because the door opened against the room, so you didn't actually see the room as you opened the door, um, it, the whole place looked small. But when we swung it the other way, the minute you opened the door, you saw this full expanse of three rooms right to the back of the house and it made a massive difference to that sense of yeah. size. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, that's, and that's, yeah, I think that, that sometimes it's surprising how small of a change can, can have yeah. such a significant impact on the outcome. And as a renovator, you, you know, like going through open inspections, you see some... Uh, improvements, I'll use that in inverted commas, that have been done to properties and obviously have had no um, skilled design um, applied to them. And they're just, 
they look amateur. They look dodgy and, you know, rooms... And, and I'm going to re come really clean now and say, in our really early days, before you came on the scene, I think that our, some of our floor plan changes and things that we did were not great. And I think what, you, what you're doing with this service is actually getting to the project at that very early stage and setting mm. it on the right course. Yeah, yeah, definitely. But I think that one of the things that we think about in that context is this idea of the, you know, Pareto's law that the 20% of your input yields 80% of the results. Um, and we really think that's, that's especially true at the beginning of a project that you can, you can do a very, very, very small amount of um, kind of design work very early in a project, set it on the right course. And in some instances, especially with your students who have got, you know, a very high level of training in, in how to deliver a renovation and they, they even have a, have a reasonably good um, idea of how to, how to design and how to, you know, deliver a design without necessarily having a kind of full and detailed set of drawings. In that context, we think that we can actually do very, very, very small parts of projects um, and assist and guide in that, those very early stages of a project and have a massive um, positive impact on the design outcome. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that also, I mean, that's also a part of what, why I am quite motivated about, about working in this way is because I sort of think that if I was to commit the next 10 years of my career working on um, projects that might be perceived as having the potential of, of being submitted to, to, you know, the biggest architectural awards that, that there are, um, I might be able to feasibly um, deliver two or three of those projects in the next 10 years. Um, but I think that if I'm equally able to focus on, on much, much smaller projects that, that may only require half a day or a day's work from me, I can actually potentially deliver or, or have a part in, in bringing about a 10 or 20 or even 50% change, um, positive change in hundreds of projects. Um, and I think that, um, you know, if I could, if I could do a thousand projects in my career, I'd be, I'd be in a much happier place than if I could do 10. So yeah, I think yeah, um, and, and on a basic metric level, I think that interests me as well. Excellent. So, well, we're definitely the beneficiaries of that decision. So I should have, I meant to jump in earlier and say that the project that you were talking about was Barangaroo House. And we, yeah, well. and it's uh, in no way resembles any renovation that any of us will ever do, but it's worth having a look no. at. Very interesting building and we'll include a link in the show notes. And so do you want to, let's just, just talk about that, Sorry. That, and that, that project was delivered with, as I, I was a, the project architect at Collins and Turner Architects. Yeah. So not, not in my own name, which I think is an important distinction to make. But, um, but yeah, it's uh, very lucky to have been able to work on, on a number of projects like that, that that have really made it quite clear to me that, that there is a, there's a real value in taking that, the level of design thinking that you apply to a project like that and scaling it right down and using that, um, using that strategic design process on much smaller projects. Yeah, yeah. Like I've been doing this, as you know, for nearly 30 years 
And it always amazes me because I'll come up with what I think should, how I think the floor plan should work. And then I show it to you and you just completely turn it on its head. And often the things that you come up with, the ideas that you come up with, require less work than what I was planning. Um, and they're just much, I don't know, it's much simpler or something, but it, um, I think there's a real simplicity about your designs that um, give them, you know, a lot of appeal. And certainly as a renovator, uh, I think in most cases are quite easy to deliver. I appreciate that perspective. I also think that where I'm lucky to have been in a situation of, of having developed this process organically by having by working effectively with with you and other renovators right there at the sketch pad with us because that's actually a really important part of how we're building this this tool moving forward is that we know that if we were to take a design brief prepare some drawings and bring them back to you that we can we can deliver a design that that is going to work in a lot of ways and that we think is going to you know, it's going to be, um, it's going to be a really, we think that we can make a great design out of just about any space, but what a great design is to you is going to be different to what a great design is to us. And we can, we can still work with all of the compliance aspects and we can, um, we can design spaces that, that are really functional, but still have say three or four, three or four options within that, within that kind of design, within the, the context of the existing building. And so, by having the renovator with us while we're preparing that design concept, we can sort of close the loop, close the feedback loop, rather than preparing a drawing and issuing it and then having some comments and then coming back and, and doing this to and fro four or five times, which is just frankly expensive uh, because it's more time that we need to spend doing more drawings and, and going through that, that, um, that feedback process. If we physically do the design in the same space or via Zoom, which is which is how we're how we're currently delivering the product. If we do that in that in that same kind of um, video conference space, we can actively develop it together and um, yeah, effectively bring the renovator to to the drawing table with us, which we think is a, a really important part of that part of our process. Yeah, it's um, I was talking to so prior to uh, launching this. Um, we'll call it a product. It's called the Renovators Concept Session, just for that. And we'll talk about about the details in a minute. But um, you tested it quite extensively on quite a few of our students. And I was talking to one the other day, and you had done this uh, plan on their family home. And what he said was that what you did in, you know, 45 minutes or an hour... Uh, firstly, it was clear that you had spent time on it before he got there, that you had prepared well for it. And secondly, that you were able to bring a clarity in 45 minutes that they had not been able to manage in nine months of struggling, you know, trying to decide what they were going to do with the space. So I think that's a really, um, you know, powerful uh, testament to the value of the Renovators concert session. Mm, I think that that and that project, which um, that, I think that project is a really great example of why we why we think it's so important to have the renovator at the drawing table with us because 
I had prepared, we always prepare for these sessions. So I had, I had prepared in the sense that I'd reviewed the plans and I had some ideas about how you might go about, you know, restructuring that space. But we almost never come to those sessions with drawings. So we'll come with the existing floor plan, but we won't actually um, start that session by talking through our design proposal. We will have thought about what's the smallest intervention that you could possibly make in that space and have a huge impact. And then we'll think about what's the, what's the brief effectively, because in our, in our um, sign up process for the renovator concept tool, we, um, it is a briefing form. So it's, you know, quite specific about how, how it asks quite specific questions about how you want to redesign the space. And then, so that's the kind of middle of middle ground. And then we'll think if we were to completely throw the brief out and just look at what's, what's the, the ultimate outcome for this floor plan. And we'll put some thought into what each of those three phases are, the minimum, the middle ground and the ultimate. So that when it comes to having conversations with, or when it comes to that actual workshop, workshop session, um, and, you know, we're kind of uh, throwing ideas around, um, at, or especially if the, the renovators um, throwing questions to us about, you know, how else could we do this? What if we did that? We've actually kind of already looked at, looked outside of the scope of the kind of tunnel vision of the project, if you, if you'll call it that. And so when, because we hadn't, I didn't have a drawing when I came to that, I could have definitely, I, I had a fairly clear idea of what I thought was their perfect on brief uh, floor plan before I walked into that, um, into that workshop, workshop session, but it actually was better for having, for us having brought a completely open mind to it and allowed their input to, to drive it. So um, the final outcome was, I would say, significantly better than, than the outcome that I would have developed um, in complete isolation yeah. of, um, of the renovator. And I think a part of the reason for that is that often the renovators that we're working with have lived in the spaces. So they can give us immediate feedback about, you know, exactly what that space feels like at a certain time of day or exactly why that, that you know, what does or doesn't feel, feel quite right, which, you know, we can understand the space as much as we, as, you know, as much as we can possibly give it by kind of interrogating the floor plan and some photos, but we can't know a space the same way that a, that a renovator can, can yeah. know it if they've lived in it or a homeowner or first home buyer. So, um, so yeah, we think that, we really do think that that, that process is huge, hugely important. I don't think that there's been a project that we've done yet where it's been a, just a one-way street of just us driving the design um, and it's, it's always, always better off for it. Yeah, and that's, yeah. And particularly when you're renovating for profit, you have some quite clear uh, parameters that you need to, um, uh, you know, follow. And so mm. I think that's, um, that's very, Useful. And um, before we get into um, just talking about the detail of the service, I, um, I wanted you to tell the audience the process to become an architect. Because I think personally, until I saw what you went through, I wasn't really clear on the value of architecture. And well, I guess I was in a big iconic sense, but I wasn't in terms of everyday design and um, I wasn't really sure, I, you know, you think about people drawing floor plans and whatever, 
and I wasn't really sure about, you know, the difference between you and me in terms of, you know, what, what created that difference. But now, obviously, I can see it's where poles apart. And I think it's really valuable for people to know because um, I often say, if you want design, you've got to go to an architect, even if you don't have the architect manage the project, which I personally think is where a lot of the expense is. Do you want to just quickly outline what it takes to be an architect? Uh, yes. That's um, <laughs> a reasonably big question again, but um, uh, well, broadly speaking, it, it um, involves five years of study, three years of undergraduate, two years of, of postgraduate, um, and then a minimum of two years of working in practice before you can get registered as an architect. So um, architect is a legislatively defined term um, in each state, and so you have to be registered in each state, state that you want to work in as an architect. But I think that what's specific about that process, as opposed to, say, a building designer or a draft person, is that the um, the study that you do, so the, the all the way through those first five years of the degree, there are obviously some technical aspects to what we're learning. There are a lot of technical aspects to what we're learning, but every single semester, a quarter, if not if not half of the of the course load, is based on developing design strategy. So they're called design studio, um, and everyone pours countless hours into into design studio because that's really where you're learning how to design effectively and I think that that really only comes that kind of design ability that that, that capacity for design really only comes through it's a learnt skill it's not I don't think that it's something that you're either born with or not I think that you develop a vocabulary for design um, is the more that you do it and so I think that you know, those five years are actually kind of essential because um, you, it just takes that long to develop your own kind of language and process for how it is that you, that you go about designing. And um, yeah, I think that's, that's probably one of the most important components. I mean, obviously the, the technical aspects of it are, are totally critical and the two years working in the profession before you can get registered and mostly about the technical and legal aspects of, of practicing as an architect. And for most people, that two years is more like uh, five or six years or for some 10 years. So it's quite a lengthy process and we're held to very, very stringent standards by the Architects Registration Board, which is, which is the kind of um, mechanism for protecting the, the consumer from, from architects that might not be performing in a way that's consistent with the code of conduct. So in a sense, it's uh, engaging an architect is a highly protected position to, to take if you're working, especially on a very, very complex project. It's a, it's a highly protected position to, to take as a consumer, but is also obviously a part of why it can be very expensive to engage an architect because there's quite a bit of legislation around how we can and can't act. And, and, um, and that does come at a sort of cost of, of time and energy. Yeah. Um, what I don't get, oh, this is just off on a slight tangent, but we'll get back on the track in a minute. Uh, why aren't builders and developers held to the same standard? Well, builders are. Builders, builders go through a, you know, quite, a, quite a stringent process, I would say, in order to, to get a builder's license. It's a, it's a trade-based 
process rather than a rather than a design based based process and a kind of you know it's a it's a different approach to learning the technical components but i think that they are i think they are held to to a fairly high standard but you know in the same way that you have some builders out there that are that are not really uh, performing at the level that that they're legislatively required to do it's the same it would be the same in every in every profession in every industry so i mean there are certainly some architects out there that that um that oh, would i'm not sure if I, i'm not sure if i'd say that but i'm not sure if i can say that oh well i can so there you go <laughs> um okay so let's talk about the uh the service and then yeah so it's called the renovators concept session and when someone uh books in for a session firstly how much do they pay for the session so it is $360 plus GST. So I think that works out at $396. It is a part of the way that we've built the tool is really about absolutely minimising the amount of time that we need to spend doing admin tasks, like like preparing a brief and understanding the brief and and all of these things that again they just make the process expensive for the for the consumer. Which which if we're trying to figure out how we make this as cheap as we possibly can. It's really about cutting out the cutting the fat that we don't need to be spending time on. So we've automated the sign up process. We've got we've got an online briefing form, and we've automated the payment of it so that we don't need to be chasing invoices. So it's kind of this that's kind of fits into a whole sort of ecosystem of how we how we can deliver the maximum value because it's actually not just about it being cheap. It's about making sure that. The, as much time as we can possibly spend on the project is spent designing rather than, than doing admin. Yeah. Um, so it's the sign up is done through through an online um, online form, and at the completion of that form and and the completion of the payment, it will prompt a it will prompt the person who's who's signing up to the program to um, select a date for for the workshop session. Upon selecting the date for the workshop session, you'll get an email confirming it, and that's going to have the link to the Zoom session in that email. And so, basically, without before we've you know spent time kind of really getting our heads into the project, we've already got the whole kind of timeline of the project um, or of that that part of the project locked in. It's in our in both of our calendars, and all the renovator has to do at that point is show up. So, as a part of the the workshop sign-up form, the online form, it will prompt the renovator to upload a floor plan. And that could be an existing floor plan from a previous renovation, or it could be a floor plan from the from the sale of or purchase of a property. Um, and more often than not, they are the marketing floor plans that are used for marketing the property on the, uh, putting the, pro- the property on the market. And we will, between the um, renovator signing up to the course and us meeting for the for the workshop. We'll, as I mentioned earlier, sort of start to figure out what's the minimum intervention that we would do on that floor plan. What is it that we think is the kind of optimal design outcome based on the brief that they've given us? And what's the kind of maximum and, and ultimate scheme for that floor plan within reason? I mean, you know, we're not going to, we're not going to propose to add a level to a building where, or to a house where someone's looking to renovate the kitchen. But, you know, sometimes you'll identify that shifting, you know, taking out an extra wall or swapping the kitchen and the dining room will just totally transform the feeling of a space and totally transform the house. And that may be out of budget, but it doesn't mean that it's not worth having a conversation about 
yeah. because you know budget is also especially for those who are renovating for for profit budget is totally totally dependent on the, the added value of yeah, the renovation exactly. so yeah so if you so can sometimes add an extra then often you can spend more yeah and like i don't i don't claim to be an expert in what what a property is, you know, how much value you can add to a property by doing a certain aspect of the renovation. But we know that the renovators are well-trained in, in that. They've got, they've got the training from, from the course that they're doing with you um, or, from, or from previous experience. And so we can at least give them all the information that we know about design and we can guide the design into a, into a direction that works for them. And so then once you've got those three sort of concepts, mm. you then meet you meet with well you they're in your yep. head you haven't actually got them on paper yet exactly yeah so so then we we will kind of bring those ideas to the meeting but as i said we don't actually bring drawings to the meeting because we want to develop that drawing um one-on-one -on -one in that in that kind of um workshop session and as i said before the benefit of that is there are so many aspects to the benefit of that but one of the main benefits is that we get that immediate input, that immediate feedback as we're going. And we can really, yeah, we think that that is hugely valuable to both the design and to, and to the time spent on the project. You know, we don't want to be developing three or four or five options if we only really need to develop one and just get the immediate feedback as we're going. It's that kind of like flow and stream of consciousness between, between us and the renovator in that process. Okay, and so then once you've finished the session, what happens, they, do they get the designs then? So, so you've got an yeah. iPad where you can draw on the screen so everyone can see. That's... Yeah, sorry, I should have clarified that, yes. Yeah. So, so basically in that Zoom session, I'll share the screen of the iPad um, to, the, to the meeting and I'll just be drawing, effectively drawing live and developing that, developing the, the floor plan in, in hand sketch form in that meeting and following that meeting it's usually a kind of like semi-messy floor plan that we've got at the end of that meeting because we're sort of fleshing out so many different ideas and you know shifting a pantry there or opening a wall up there and moving things around quite a bit and so by the end of that meeting I'll usually take that drawing away for a few hours and just tidy it up and really just kind of try to clarify all of the scope that we've described so that at the end of that meeting they'll get a, um, a hand-drawn PDF floor plan, which covers all of the scope that we've discussed and covers those really kind of big gestures that are, that are structuring the concept and the, and the design strategy for the project. From there, it depends a little bit on what type of project it is. So for some projects, you know, for a really small-scale kitchen and bathroom renovation, it's not necessarily essential to have a CAD-drafted floor plan, and that hand sketch might actually be enough and often is, in fact, enough for the renovator to, to take it and start scoping the project up and, and take it to say a kitchen kitchen designer and take it to an engineer if they, need, if they need to have structural engineering done. On some projects we would, you know, the next kind of step up from that would really be for us to prepare a, a CAD drafted floor plan um, if, it's, if it's necessary for the project. And we've sort of really just broken our services right down into, into a modular setup like that so that we can, we can build it up as we need to for, for projects that need it. Um, or also, you know, where we, as I said before, really feel that if we can make that, spend that kind of five or 10% of time on a project and have a huge impact on the rest of the project, we're happy for, we're perfectly happy for the renovator to take that sketch and have somebody else deliver it. So they could, if they have a, 
drafts person that they use um, for all of their projects, we're perfectly happy for them to take it to them and, and deliver it that way. So it's not, you know, we have those services there if, if they're necessary for the project and, and to streamline it for the renovator because it's really what we want to be able to do is to assist renovators in, in them delivering the project. But, um, but yeah, it's not essential for every project. Sometimes that, that hand sketch session is, um, is plenty for them to yeah. run the project. I think it's important to stress that, that what you leave with is it might be one, two, or maybe three options, but their, um, their hand sketch, their concept, they're not working plans. And if you do yep. need to go to that next step, you can either take it to your draftsman or builder, or you can get um, a fellow studio to quote on the next step of the work so yep. that you've got options. Yeah. But, but importantly, you're not having somebody, whether it's us or somebody else, draft up a floor plan, which you're then going to have to modify the design for several times as you go because you've already worked the design out. So mm -hmm. we just think that designing while you're drafting is a, is a terrible format for, yeah. for low cost, low cost work. Like it, it's, it's sometimes totally essential to draft it and then continue developing the design as you go. But especially on small projects, it just, it's a very, very expensive way to work. Well, so if you can develop the design before you get there. Yeah. It, it uses different parts of your brain. Yeah. The designing yeah. is the creative part. The drafting is the technical part. Two different, yep. yeah. So yeah, and that's exactly why it's sometimes necessary to develop the design as as you kind of move into the CAD drafting arena, yeah. because sometimes, in fact, if not almost always, as you prepare a CAD drafted floor plan, the technical issues start to arise, um, and some of those kind of technical challenges of how we're going to resolve this particular aspect of it starts to arise, and so you sometimes do need to develop that design as you go. But for a lot of um, for a lot of very small projects, that um, that often happens on site. That's often mm. you know those technical aspects are, are often resolved on site. So yeah. um, it depends a lot on the project. Awesome. Well, I think we have fleshed it out. Um, just right. important to mention that for our students when they come into the boot camp. David actually comes in and does a session with the group and basically mm -hmm. you can bring your floor plans in and he will do them live in the tutorial. And then if you require, want to use it outside the tutorial and you're in one of our programs, you just get in touch with our office and you will get a coupon to use, which is very generous of Thurlow Studios. So thank you very much. And yeah, so that's the renovators concept session. And I know that it's going to be, make a massive difference to our community and the community, the renovating community at large. So thanks for coming on today. And all the details plus the link to book a renovators concept session will be in the show notes. And as I mentioned, if you're in one of our programs now, just get in touch with admin at the School of Renovating, Judy, and she will organise a code for you. And that's it. So thanks, awesome. David. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. No worries. Take care. Well, that's it for today's episode. Now, we've covered a lot and you'll find the links to everything we've talked about in the show notes. And also... If you haven't already done it, we would love it if you would head over to iTunes and leave us a review. We read every one of them and 
it just makes such a difference to know that you are that we are having an impact on your life and your renovating so for those of you who've already um, left reviews thank you so much and see you all next week this is the she renovates podcast to discover how to harness the power of renovating check out the school of renovating.com